The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Join us at patreon.com slash Edge to join for as little as $5 per month. We're ramping up our written content for the 2020 college football season with daily posts available to all our patrons. Plus, our Tier 2 supporters receive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles with daily updated depth charts, schedule updates, injury reports, and statistical projections. Visit patreon.com slash Edge or reach out on Twitter at CFBWinningEdge to learn more. everybody welcome back it's the cfb winning edge podcast i'm your host scott bogman follow me on the twitter at bogman sports i'm joined by nicholas ian allen as always the owner and proprietor of cfb winning edge follow him on the twitter at cfb winning edge and xavier trish follow him on the twitter at xavier underscore trish t-r-i-c-h-e and week one is in the books i mean it feels it still doesn't feel real even (laughs) though we've watched games and seen them and all that stuff it's still i think because I'm such a fantasy nerd, it doesn't feel like the season starts until I've done my draft and I'm mm-hmm. setting my lineups and all that stuff. So I'm like, tonight when we're done with this, I'm going to be setting all my NFL lineups for the first time. Maybe then football will feel real for me, but uh, it, it's going. Uh, we had a bunch of games happen this week, Nick. So I'm sure your weekend went from normal weekend i I hope you took the wife out the week before and everything (laughs) before that because moving forward it's football season and it's all about numbers and correcting depth charts and uh you know getting all that stuff in so how was your weekend it was uh it was pretty good my my wife went uh on a on a bit of a day trip uh so she she left me alone to sort of adjust (laughs) to the first uh, college football Saturday, which which was kind of her, and and I think also, uh, you know, when like like you mentioned, when when this time comes around each year, and, and before this, when I was uh, you know working in sports and, and things like that, she knows when the season hits, like it's a it's it's a different animal, and and so I think there's always a little bit of. Uh, I don't know if it's sadness or, or you know, <laughs> she 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 doesn't love it when it starts, well, but she my, understands it, and and so uh, I go, I'll go yeah. over and see my mom once a week usually, and uh, it turns into once every two or three weeks during football season. So <laughs> when I told when I told her that uh, you know football starting this week, she's like, "Already? Are you, are you, I thought they were canceling it." And I was like, "No, nope. now football's <laughs> happening." So uh, you know, it's. Uh, my, my, my visits are going to be uh, less and less frequent moving forward here. But, uh, yeah, I get the better food that way, Xavier. I don't know if uh, you you ever had that. It's like, well, I'm making ribs tonight. It's like, well, yes. maybe <laughs> I can get this Sunday night football game is crappy. Anyway, maybe I can come over, right. and, you know, something, something like that. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, everyone. Everyone in our life knows uh, we'll probably become a little bit different people when football season's here. Right. Oh, absolutely. Luckily for me, I am single, so nobody's waiting on me yeah, to send me them a too. text back because uh, if they were, they would be angry. Uh, this time <laughs> of the year, no text back. You'll be lucky if I call you in two weeks. And, you know, <laughs> hey, uh, you can find me watching YouTube videos for hours on games that have already happened. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, let's just, let's dive right in here. Let's go over what happened last week. And, you know, Thursday we had a couple games, South Alabama beat Southern Miss 32, 21 in Hattiesburg and UAB beat central Arkansas 45, 35. And the game wasn't really that close. Uh, but this South Alabama Southern Miss is the first game we saw Nick with huge CFB impacts because Jay Hobson steps down uh, and uh, kind of surprising after week one. But if you watched how bad that offense blocked and uh, just couldn't get a running game going or anything against a team in South Alabama that wasn't great last year, they were much better when they flipped to Trotter at the end of the year, but they were not good last year and they stomped Southern Miss. It really wasn't as close as this score either, right? Yeah, it, it was uh, it was a bit of a surprise. I mean, we we talked this time last week that the way our numbers saw it, and it's it's sort of a it's come to be a bit of a tradition like no other, I guess. That the first game of the year, we always think, all right, our numbers are are seeing this game clearly, feel great about it. The season starting, and and then uh, doesn't go our way. So not only did uh, Southern Miss not uh win or cover here but or, or you know not cover but but they uh lost the game outright south alabama looked like a uh you know a much improved team in a lot of ways desmond trotter uh you're absolutely right at the end of last year gave them a spark uh this year seems to you know hopefully have, have carried it over still not you know perfect i think he's got a good uh you know has upside for sure can run a little bit uh, you know, has a strong arm, but made some questionable mistakes, puts a little too much air under the ball uh, on deep passes from time to time. And, and, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of zip on, on short and intermediate passes, but he's young and, and obviously uh, seems to give them a better chance of winning than, than what they've had the last couple of years under Steve Campbell. So South Alabama is going to be, I think, a little more dangerous of a team than I originally ex expected. Our numbers still have them ranked uh, 124th. So, you know, on, on the one hand, I think maybe we're underrating them a little bit. But on the other, you know, you brought up Southern Miss already moved on from their head coach. So you have to wonder if maybe this is a situation where Southern Miss – could be in for a, a very long season. Uh, they've already had, uh, you know, a bunch of guys opt out, go to the transfer portal. The defense, I thought, looked, you know, the secondary looked pretty bad in, in a lot of spots. And uh, the offensive line was a major issue last year. And, and you mentioned it couldn't get much going uh, this year, especially in the running game. So maybe the Southern Miss team is not as good as we thought. Maybe South Alabama is a little better than we thought. But also try not to read too much into week one. Maybe it was just – you know, a bad night for Southern Miss, a good night for South Alabama. But uh, it was a fun way to start. Always nice to, to see an upset, uh, see a team that uh, looks like they've made a lot of improvement in, in week one. So uh, a nice way to start the season, if, even if we didn't quite, you know, project it uh, correctly. Gotcha, gotcha. Put the marker down, for God's sake. Uh, I was, I was like, I'm like, who is that? <laughs> I was blaming, I was, I'm over here blaming Xavier. So, uh, you know, it's not something, it's not that annoying to me. But I know, like, if people are just listening, that's all they're going to hear. Is that sure? Correct? Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It was a weird upset game. Uh, Southern Miss just did not. They didn't have it uh, in this game, Xavier. What were your thoughts on the? Uh, um, what were your what were your thoughts on this first game and the first upset of the year? I mean, thanks to Nick, um, I put my eyes all over this game because uh, I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. I was what was I? Doing? I was watching NBA basketball. 
And Nick tweeted at me and said, hey, you might want to check it out. It looks like you're right. I was like, yes. I caught this. <laughs> Southern Miss was going to come out sluggish and slow. Um, and South Alabama jumped all over it. You know, South Alabama jumps out to a 13 nothing lead and holds it the rest of the ballgame. And I think that that's kind of indicative of what we'll see from matchups from teams that may not be as different as we think they are. It's who's going to start fastest. Uh, Southern Miss struggled very early on. And by the time they got going, it was just too late. South Alabama had gotten the momentum and they rolled that wave. Uh, it's a great win for South Alabama in a year where we don't know how many they'll necessarily get. Uh, it's a good first win. It's a good start. Definitely makes me more confident of, of them going into some belt play later on this year. Um, and as far as Southern Miss is concerned, well, I mean, they turned over a new leaf like 24 hours <laughs> afterwards. So it's a fresh start, I guess. They're zero and zero. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, they're zero and zero for the next coach. So, you know, um, they got to be more I think inspired. They, they got whoever, you know, what's the guy, what's the guy's name again? That's taken over here, Nick. It's, uh, Ooh, uh, Scotty. his name is Scotty. Oh, got to love a Scotty real quick. Yeah. And then a guy who is 30 years old has been a co-offensive coordinator the last few years was a head coach at division three, uh, in 2015 and, and oversaw a, a pretty explosive offense at, East Texas Baptist, uh, Scotty Walden. Scotty oh, Walden. What a name. Right. Yeah, that's a great name. That's a great, great name, name for a coach, for sure. And 30 years old, I mean, for God's sake, I think uh, Xavier <laughs> is going to be his defensive coordinator uh, starting next week. I'll be but, defensive uh, team's coordinator. What's up? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm telling you, man, like like that's uh, – because I'm 37, and I think, Nick, are you 36? Are you 37? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, Mid-30s. yeah, in, in, in that range. Count. Yeah, Xavier is 14, so uh, you know we're uh, we're all we're all close to that range, but uh, but yeah, I mean it's uh, it's weird to see, but whoever comes in has got to be more inspiring than than Jay Hobson. Like we had to, you know, you kind of mentioned it before uh, before Nick, uh, where you said that um, you know this was a little bit of writing on the wall, and I you know after performance like this. Uh, you know, not surprising to see, but that game, uh, I, I don't know. Do you guys think, are, are you going to be more on South Alabama for the rest of the year and, or, or which one is more on South Alabama or off Southern Miss? So this is, this is something that's I've been thinking about because uh, the way college football is set up this year, we've talked about it before that I I think it's a great thing that we're actually paying a lot more attention to games like this because they've got uh, more of a national audience. It was the, you know, the only game on national television uh, last Thursday night, we had UAB and and central Arkansas and I think ESPN three or ESPN plus or whatever. Uh, But pretty much anybody that has the CBS sports network was, was watching uh, South Alabama and, and Southern Miss. So everybody saw, okay, the South Alabama team is, you know, looking a lot better than their two and 10 record last year. They saw uh, uh, what's, uh, what's the uh, Jalen Tolbert, uh, 169 yards, two touchdowns saw, okay, Hey, this guy looks like maybe a, a future NFL draft pick type guy. And, and so, you know, people that might not have been paying any attention at all to South Alabama coming in now have this, in their memory bank of, of, Oh, okay. That's what South Alabama is. Now they're, you know, they're maybe a good team now. And so when I'm looking, you know, at, at sort of what the market thinks of, of South Alabama, I mean, this week they're playing Tulane and that's only a 
eight point uh, spread the last time I saw it. And, you know, preseason, I think we probably all would have expected that to be double digits, maybe. I mean, Tulane was a, a bowl team, a, a solid team in, in a uh, slightly, you know, more respected conference. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I think at this point, teams like South Alabama, probably a team like we'll talk about a little bit later, Texas State, I think that there's a case to be made that people are going to be maybe a little too quick to give them more respect. So I, I think I might actually pull back on that a little bit and say, you know, I know we got this game wrong. We obviously underestimated South Alabama in this game, or we overestimated Southern Miss. I'm not sure which yet to, to answer your question, but I'm going to be very hesitant, I think, to buy in you know, completely on South Alabama. I'm going to, I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to think, okay, hopefully other people are, you know, maybe getting a little bit too high of an opinion on, on South Alabama based on just one uh, data point. And, you know, hopefully maybe that'll create a little value for our numbers, which still doesn't respect South Alabama very much. They moved up from 125th to 124th in our power rankings as a result of this game. So mm-hmm. that, that in my right now seems like the biggest take away, but I, I just, I need more information to, to really, uh, you know, know if, if that's the right thing or if maybe I'm just a little, you know, maybe I should trust my eyes and South Alabama looked a lot better. I don't know. Yeah, I got you. So, uh, Xavier, your thoughts on, uh, on, on who are you, are you more in on South Alabama or more in, uh, or more out on Southern Miss? Um, I feel like South Alabama is going to be this year's BYU. I have this weird feeling that they're going to be up and down all year. They're going to have an impressive victory. Then they'll lose to a team that you don't expect them to. Uh, you know, and I think that that's something, you know, I think they may beat, you know, they might lose to Tulane by 10 or 15. Then they surprise us and beat UAB the week after. Then they lose to Troy. Then they beat Texas. They, 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 honestly, I think they're going to be up and down. I wouldn't be so bullish on them after one win. We've seen the turmoil that was going on at Southern Miss beforehand, which is why their coach got fired in the first place. Uh, and I think people shouldn't give up on Southern Miss just yet. Remember, this is a team that went to a bowl game last year. They haven't lost all of that talent. And I do think that with a new head coach, they may be fired up a little bit. You know, when, when you have a situation like a head coach stepping out, it does kind of galvanize the team a little bit. You know, this is a guy who's coming internally. He's a guy who's going to be able to, you know, speak to maybe the younger guys. And and remember, like I said, for him, it's 0-0. Zero, zero. He doesn't have a quote-unquote loss on his coaching record. So for him, he's even coaching for his own job. So you may see a little bit different and more energy coming in Southern Miss. At least uh, you would expect it next week who they will be playing – uh, Louisiana Tech. You got you expect there to be a little bit more energy next week when they are when they play that game uh, to get back on track, especially in a season that they have. Uh, so I think be a little bit more bullish on South Alabama. Maybe they won't finish bottom of their conference like we maybe have thought about beforehand, but it's not ready to crown them as a team that should finish in the mid tier. And for Southern Miss, don't count them out yet. Remember they were a bowl game bowl team last year. They they didn't lose all that talent. One bad game against a bad. A bad season. So let's let's slow down with that. Yeah. All right. I'm with you on that. And then uh, just moving forward in this week's schedule, we had uh, Saturday Marshall and Army won by a combined 101 to zip. SMU uh, played, I mean, Texas State played them real tough. They won 31 24. Memphis beat Arkansas 37 24. North Texas and UTEP beat FCS opponents. So 
what were what was your uh, biggest takeaways from the Saturday action, Nick? Well, I, I'm glad we all got to see Grant Wells at, at Marshall, the uh, redshirt yeah. freshman. You know, not a not a great opponent. Eastern Kentucky had a, a winning record last year at the FCS level, but you know they didn't look very good. And, and Grant Wells really, really threw the football well, over 300 yards, uh, four touchdowns in his first uh, game action. Not not even start, but but game action. So you have to wonder. A few weeks ago, when we saw uh, Isaiah Green enter the transfer portal, you know, 20 game starter or, or whatever at, at Marshall, maybe he wasn't going to win this job. Maybe, maybe Grant Wells just proved that he was going to be the, the better option for Marshall at, at quarterback. He certainly played like it in this first game. So, you know, that that was exciting to see. Again, try not to read too much into it. it it's just one game and, and the opponent wasn't great. But, you know, you couldn't ask for a, a better first start for a, a redshirt freshman. Uh, complete opposite at, at, you know, Middle Tennessee. Uh, you and I have talked several times about Asher O'Hara. We talked about uh, from his – uh, fantasy value. Uh, as far as our uh, stat projections go, we expected him to be the second best quarterback playing this fall uh, from a points per game standpoint, and he got benched in the third quarter. Just looked like he was forcing too many things because, you know, like like Army often does, doesn't really uh, let you get in a rhythm offensively. If, if you turn the ball over or if you uh, punt it away, you might not get it back the rest of the quarter. Mm-hmm. So uh, Army looked very you know just looked dominant uh, in, in this game uh and saw some good things from you know the, the new quarterback christian anderson uh exciting freshman tyrell robinson at a, a slot back position uh santa mccoy had you know three touchdowns i believe it was so excellent win for army disaster for middle tennessee uh, I, I wonder a little bit. I, I tweeted this and then I deleted it because I, I try not to get too negative on on, uh, on Twitter, but uh, or or get you know the the cold takes or, or whatever. Find me later. But I, I've had this idea in mind for a few years now. Basically, uh, when at Central Florida or UCF, uh, Georgia Leary uh, went from you know having a really solid program to zero and twelve, and then when you know, SMU and, and June Jones, he built them into a bowl team and then just lost, what, five or six in a row to start a season and, and just the, the program completely collapsed without warning, basically, in, in both cases. I wonder if Rick Stockstill at Middle Tennessee, if we're kind of seeing that sort of thing. I mean, they had a, I don't know if you guys saw it at the end of the uh, second quarter. They they finally put a drive together. We're down 21 nothing. had an opportunity you know, clock ticking down uh, to maybe get in the end zone at the very least, get a, a field goal. They ran a play with like 20 seconds left, had two timeouts, and time ran out. I mean, <laughs> clock management, just a, di- a disaster. Uh, the team didn't look prepared. You know, O'Hara didn't didn't look good at all. And, and, you know, earlier in the week, they had a lot of weird things popping up on their depth chart. So you kind of wonder what's going on. Behind the scenes, guys who are projected starters are now playing different positions or, you know, certain guys are, are not uh, on the field, you know, dropping off the roster without warning. So I, I, I'll i say this probably a hundred times this week and next week and whoever knows, but uh, I, I don't want to read too much into it, but I'm, I'm fearing the worst maybe at Middle Tennessee as far as just the program 
might be in danger of falling off a cliff and, you know, one of those Georgia Leary, June Jones situations. And I mean, that's, uh, that would suck. Xavier, <laughs> what, what are you, what are your thoughts about, uh, this first weekend of games? Yeah. Now this one, you need to buy the stock that Nick is pointing out this was bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, this was, there's nothing you take from this, you know, Southern Miss put up 21 points. You could take some offensive stats from that. You can say, Hey, we, this worked, this didn't, nothing worked for middle. They could at least pass. You know, right. They couldn't run, but you they know. could at least pass. Uh, nothing worked for middle. And it doesn't get any better. They play Troy. And I can't tell you that they're going to write the ship there either. Uh, when you end up benching your starting quarterback, and, and this isn't like a, a situation where he was just the chosen starter. This was supposed to be your guy coming into this year. So when you bench him, that means he was playing really, really bad. Um, and you're really making it tough on you to move into the next week and suggest that he's going to be a guy that you can trust in going forward. And that's the biggest issue. This is already a shortened season as it is. When your starting quarterback cannot get it right game one as bad as O'Hara looked, it throws off the rest of the team because now you have to try out another guy who doesn't have the continuity that O'Hara is going to have that does that throws off the continuity he'll have with the receivers and the offensive line. It's a trickle-down effect. And it's going to be something really going to have to hit on this week, obviously not playing, but going into next weekend against Troy. I don't see where they improve upon the game that they had. Oh, well, you know, if they score seven points, they improved, I guess. But outside of that, I don't see where they start when it comes to fixing problems because there's so many of them with uh, regarding to the team. So the, Nick hit it right on the head. I really hope that this isn't, you know, one of those seasons where they look back and they went two and eight or, you know, where they, they – it was a throwaway season after game one. Uh, I hope they can write the ship, but it doesn't look doesn't look good at the moment. Well, the good news is it's all uphill from here because you can't get any worse. Because if you do, well, <laughs> well, so, uh, for Stockstill, it's got to be all moving forward. But, you know, uh, I thought the funny thing that I took away was I'm like, man, Army and that triple option, they just looked <laughs> ready to go. They look prepared. Uh, so maybe. Navy's going to play BYU <laughs> a little closer than we thought. Good God. I don't know <laughs> that I have seen a bigger ass kicking in college football, even when it's Bama versus, you know, uh, St. Mary's of, for the deaf and blind or whoever. Like, you expect those. <laughs> yeah, you expect those to be stompings. And sometimes rightfully they are. But good God, Nick. I mean, we talked about it on – uh, the ITL CFF pod, but you brought it up and we didn't know this going into the game that Navy didn't have any tackle practices leading up to this game. So they looked worse than the Jaguars trying to tackle Derrick Henry in the fourth quarter on a Thursday night football game. Like it they didn't want rough. to tackle anybody. It, it was, was pathetic rough. effort on both sides of the ball. And it, it wound up in a just absolute route 55 to three Navy got on the board late in the game. A 55 to three BYU stomps Navy, Nick, not a fun one to watch at all. Yeah, it, it was uh, a bit of a surprise because like you, I, I watched army just look dominant. And then you think, okay, you know, this is a, this is a system. It's not exactly the same, but have a lot of similarities to where, okay, this, you know, this is a team that we know is going to be focused. We know they know what they're doing offensively yeah they've got a new quarterback yeah they you know are missing a, a all-time great player in, in Malcolm Perry but you expect 
you know, they're, they're, they're going to be able to come out and, and at least BYU having limited time to prep with, as we talked about last week, a coaching staff that had been, you know, limited experience defending the triple option. We thought, okay, Navy's going to be probably in a, a pretty good spot and then throw it into the, the mix during the week that BYU loses arguably their, their top offensive player, Matt Bushman, to uh, an unfortunate injury. And at that point, you know, our, our numbers early, early in the week on Monday actually sided with BYU, had BYU as a slight favorite. Navy, uh, it, it flipped to Navy after the Bushman injury because it was, it was very close and Bushman's really highly rated according to our numbers. So I, I it was a little strange because our number flipped as soon as the market actually turned and made BYU a favorite, but it, it kind of went back and forth a, a few times and we ended up on the wrong side, unfortunately, when we, we put out our official uh, projections during the week and, and talked this time last week, we were on Navy. And, and at the time I felt pretty good about it. And, and maybe I was comparing too much uh, what army looked like and, and trying to, you know, translate that to what I thought we could expect from Navy because these are two different teams and you're right. Obviously Navy had a different, uh, you know, mindset going in, at least a plan as far as, you know, they're blocking, they're tackling and in practice and things like that. And, and those are, that's worrisome. And, and, you know, you've seen quotes from Ken Niamatololo after the game, taking complete responsibility, full blame. We're going to change things. I expect Navy to bounce back. Uh, but, the, the thing that worried me most wasn't, you know, missed tackles or things that we could attribute to that plan. It was there were times in the first quarter and BYU is not, you know, uh, super unique offensively. But there were times in the first quarter Navy didn't even get lined up correctly on defense. And that's not something that you have to you know, tackle or, or block live in practice just listen. to do just, just <laughs> listen. You can do that. You know, guys should be in a, in a, you know, a, a zoom meeting all summer, you know, doing quizzes or whatever on how to, how I'm supposed to get lined up against, you know, this, X, this y, formation. Z, exactly. Yeah. So, so for that to happen was, was disturbing. Uh, for for me, I mean, yeah, we're you know this. Oh, they didn't tackle. That's that's going to be discussed a lot. But that shows me there were there were other things going on. And, and Navy took such a huge step forward defensively last year under first year uh, coordinator Brian Norwood. He's back. They have a relatively high amount of experience coming back for Navy. Uh, so for for those issues to be popping up in week one. It was not good. I don't necessarily have a good feeling about Navy moving forward, but maybe this, you know, if anybody can bounce back, I think that, you know, this coaching staff and, and probably the makeup that they've got there at Navy, they, they probably can can put this behind them, move on and get better. But whew, it was a, it was about as bad as, you know, <laughs> a start as you could, uh, as you could get. Yeah. I mean, Xavier, have you seen an uglier game? In high school, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, that's, but that's what it looked like. It, it, it didn't. The Navy did not come to play. It, it looked like when your varsity team plays your JV, they got out physical, play in and play out. It was it was rough to watch, and, and I watched it twice. I watched the game and then I watched the replay. And and, and I think this is going to be kind of cool that we'll be able to do this. But 
does it not feel to you guys that like tackles sound worse than they typically do? Like they sound louder. Like when somebody gets hit because of there's no like crowd noise, everything's kind of packed in. Hits sound louder. You kind of hear the screams of like you know from the players more often. BYU was the loudest I've ever heard oh, yeah. a team Silent. on the field. That's- both of them, they on the field and the sideline, every tackle sounded like a gunshot going off. It was, it just didn't look good for until Nick. the two hour Bill Belichick interview. I love how he oh, never God. wants to do any post game press conference, but he, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he'll talk about Navy for, and uh, you know, I just really love he was, a, I mean. He was as boring as their offense. Option. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he was less boring, honestly. You know, Zach and he's was, the most boring coach in the NFL. So you know, you uh, he was less boring than their offense. You're absolutely right. They were terrible. Hey. They were awful. I mean, honestly, I didn't. Um, I was doing two drafts at the time. I was doing an auction Good. and this brutal twenty man IDP draft with over six hundred eighty picks. It was. Um, and I was getting stressed out picking uh, in those leagues, and that was more fun than watching BYU Navy. So I wasn't paying hardcore attention, but it, it seemed to me like uh, I, I get that your offense doesn't work, right? You know, just continuity and not being able to practice and all that stuff. <laughs> I, I'm not giving an excuse, no, but no. I get it. Uh, but no effort on defense. That's what I saw. Oh, just yeah. None. Yeah. Like there were many sideline tackles that could just push him. Just push him out of bounds, get in his way, fall down in front of him, something. And they were just letting him run. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, that's why, you know, we were doing on, on campus this week, we we're doing uh, stock up, stock down. I'm like, I'm not putting stock up on any of these BYU players. They got, they got to play a JV high school team. That's what it looked like. So that offensive um, line is good, though. It's the, the offensive line is legit. They're top 15 good, in our ratings. They're, they're top 15 mm-hmm. in our ratings. Uh, just, you know, from a, from a pure, talent standpoint they're no I, I, they're, they're good th- the play that i that i remember it was a fourth quarter touchdown by uh, one of mitt romney's nephews or something i don't know but he was running uh down the sideline and there were three guys there <laughs> all anyone had to do it was like this cat like just push him and he's he's on <laughs> onto the sideline and nobody did it it was like they were waiting for the other three guys to do it i've only seen a play like that one time in the nfl and I can remember exactly what it was. It was a Steelers versus Bengals game. And Lev Bell was running down the sideline. And Dre Kirkpatrick was just standing there. Mm-hmm. And he could have just shoved Bell out of bounds. and didn't touch him. And Bell just ran for a touchdown. And the coaches are screaming at Dre Kirkpatrick. And that's why he's on the Cardinals now. So, you know, it was, uh, it, it was just a pathetic play. And it was kind of a microcosm of that entire game, Absolutely. in my opinion. But uh, how did we look, Nick? How did uh, CFP Winning Edge do in this opening week with a limited amount of games? So that's the key point. It's a it's a very very small sample. So even if it was the the best week ever or the worst week ever, we have to you know <laughs> we we can't read it's too five much. Five games, into right? It. Exactly, exactly. So uh, in the the we've done this. This is coming into our third year now. The the first two years we've only done projections against the spread. And last year I, I rolled out or, or sort of behind the scenes did five or six different types of power ratings, working on, on different weights, playing around with some things. And, and out of that came our talent edges, which we've talked about before, and have come our uh, projected uh, scoring margin 
uh, numbers, which are set up a little more similarly to like SP plus, if, if people out there are, are familiar with that. But it's just, you know, the, the projected scoring margin for each team, you make some adjustments and, and you can use that to make a uh, projected point spread. So I, I'm, I've got those, release those, you know, every Wednesday uh, to our patrons, patreon.com slash CFB winning edge. So, you know, by midday on, on Wednesday, you'll see all of that in one spot, talent edges and, and uh, the, the projected score margins, all that. So those gives us three sets of power ratings that project against the spread. And then with the scoring margins, we also do a, uh, a final score. So we are doing our official picks against the spread and we're doing our uh, totals over or under uh, on the game. So the, the, we've, we've got 10 points, basically, even the, the five games. We've got the over-unders and we got the picks against the spread. Against the spread, we were two and three. So would have been better, obviously, if we had been uh, on the right side of, of the Navy game. But, you know, one game under 500 there. The totals, uh, we went four and one. So overall for the week, six and four, you know, that that's a, a solid start. Happy with that. But I was very encouraged by what sort of the unofficial numbers were. Uh, the, the talent edges and the scoring margin uh, projections aren't going in our official, you know, end of the season. These are all our, you know, bets, quote unquote, it's for our grading purposes. That'd be double counting. We don't really want to do that. But uh, the talent edges went four and one against the spread and the scoring margin picks went five and oh against the spread. So uh, pretty, pretty confident about that. And as, as uh, sort of, you know, looking into that, again, small sample, but there were two games in which all of those power ratings uh, agreed with one another. That's somewhat rare. It might be a little confusing, but but they don't always agree. But two games lined up, and, and we kind of skimmed through them, uh, you know, didn't, didn't really talk about them at length, but they'll come up a, a little bit later in some of the games we're talking about. But uh, all of our three power rings were on Texas state plus 22 against SMU and we're on Arkansas state plus 19 against Memphis and, and both of those covered. So while we're talking this week and, and in the, the Wednesday post uh, that I put out to our patrons, I I've sort of dubbed it simply enough, all three agree. So if our projected point spread, our official number, uh, our talent edge number, and then the scoring margin number, if those all line up, we're, we're going to track those. And those are, okay. are basically what we would think are uh, the, the, we feel good about those, <laughs> if that makes sense. So two and oh on those happy about that. There are five games this week uh, where that happens, which, you know, we'll, we'll see if we're onto something or not. It's too early to know for sure, but uh, I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think that we uh, did learn some things and, and feel good about where we're headed, uh, but it's too early to, to, you know, put too much stock into any of these results good or bad and this year is just going to be weird anyway so did every <laughs> game go over or excuse me under uh where uh, they had a line that uh, or did i maybe that navy game uh was so the navy the navy game went, went under over. our official uh number on so we we when we log it we're using the vegas insider uh-huh. uh um consensus line both the, okay. the point spread and the total as of whenever i hit publish on wednesday so today it was 
basically exactly at, at noon. So we put all those in stone. We do track, you know, what was the opening number, what's the closing number. But when whenever we say, oh, we were one and two or oh, we were four and two or, or whatever, it's against that that specific number. So the Southern Miss uh, South Alabama game compared to our official number went over. Uh, okay. So we were, so we were on that. I think it might've ended up under against the, the closing total. The closing line. Uh, no, I, I just remember but, picking all, I said, I don't know. Yeah. I think I might take all unders yeah. and mm-hmm. most of the games went under. Uh, yeah. looks I, like three unders, two overs. And okay. we, we got both of, we got both overs and we thought the, Army Middle Tennessee game would go over, which was probably dumb, but that's that's what I And it's funny, I was doing a little NFL research, not I I like to go more by my gut in the NFL stuff. I I find that if I Mm -hmm. if I dig too deep, I I get paralysis by analysis there. But uh I saw someone tweeted and it was we don't have you know, we've never had no preseason, but the last time we had late camp starts and stuff, I think was twenty eleven when there Mm -hmm. was almost a strike. Almost like and yeah, almost a lockout. That's what it was. And uh, it was 12 of the 16 games week one went over. So mm-hmm. I was a little surprised by that. But you also think of continuity and guys staying at a, a place longer than four years, obviously, and knowing the offense. I bet I bet the four games that went under, I bet there were some new QB starting there and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see week one of the NFL as well as we've got more week ones for all these teams coming up here. So uh, interesting numbers uh that that we pulled from week one but um let's um i mean there's not a ton of news to talk about um did uh did we get anything on you said there's a not a ton of major news out of fall camp other than high profile opt-outs from the big 10 and pac 12 and various reports uh from the depth chart releases i guess what give us a thing or two nick that was surprising on depth charts um, I don't know that anything was a, a major surprise. Every once in a while, you'll get. I, I'm noticing uh, offensive line news is always hard to come by in the off season, especially this off season. So that's kind of what I'm focused most on in, as far as depth charts go, because I think we get a, you know, we can we can put some stock into that when you're looking at okay, who's a, a starting wide receiver? Yeah, that, that you know that might matter a, a little bit, but. Uh, once you get into the game, you can see, okay, you know, who, who's this quarterback's favorite target? That's more important. So I, I put a little less stock into those. But so I'm, I'm noticing on the offensive line, there are some guys just not showing up on, on depth charts. So you kind of have to say, you know, is it an injury issue? Is it a, uh, you know, COVID issue? Is it, is it uh, that this guy's not on the roster? I need to go check that. So those are the the surprises, I guess. I'm trying to to keep up with a little bit. Mm-hmm. Offensive line, defensive line. Who who are we going to you know come to there? I don't think most of the quarterback uh, battles at this point have been too um, surprising. I mean, we've we've gotten some you know word that uh, Chase Bryce is going to be the starter at Duke. We got that uh, you know this week ULM Colby Suits is is going to be the starter. Neither of those were were really too surprising. So. You know, nothing, nothing as far as that. It, it's more just sort of, you know, the, the little pieces and then trying to, to get a better picture of the, uh, you know, the, the bigger picture on the offense. I guess actually one offensive line, uh, o- Oklahoma is starting a true freshman at left tackle uh, oh, wow. this week. And, and they bring back five 
starters right. <laughs> and, and a true freshman uh, won the left tackle job. So, uh, you know, finally, Wasn't I guess, it, was, it, was it the but, O-line that had the COVID for Oklahoma or was it uh, the D-line? Did he ever say? No, they haven't said. They haven't said, oh, but everybody's okay. on the depth chart. So, so Eric Swinson, okay. I had, uh, he's got eight career starts, uh, had him penciled in at the starting uh, left tackle, and then everybody else was back. Swinson is the backup right tackle on the depth chart. Uh, Anton Harrison, true freshman, is uh, listed as the starting left tackle. So okay. I guess, I guess, you know, long, long story short. That, yeah, yeah. That was the surprise. Yeah, good camp. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> so congrats to him. A couple schedule updates, SMU, TCU, Tulsa, Oklahoma state and Louisiana tech Baylor were all previously scheduled for this week and they have been postponed. Uh, all of those due to, uh, COVID issues. I believe I know the Louisiana tech Baylor one, like Louisiana tech was actually doing really good with COVID tests until the hurricane. And yeah. then they had, to. You know, uh, you board up together and all that stuff, and then it started spir- spiraling around for them. So I think they had only like eight or nine positive cases the whole off season before that. So now they have like thirty-two or something. It's it's a lot. So um, those games were all moved, but that's going to happen. I mean, we're going to have to uh, dodge and weave that stuff and, and work on the fly. It's going to be happening all year long. It shouldn't be that's right. And opt outs are going to happen. I mean, we had Penny Sewell opt out. He was kind of the big big name. This week, but Lenoir, you know, uh, Pat Firemuth, right, right. Today, so, oh, yeah. I didn't even see those. So, a yeah. uh, couple guys today as well. So, you know, we're going to keep seeing those, but those also were, you know, big, uh, big 10 pack 12 guys. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. uh, who aren't playing anyway. So, uh, you know, they probably just decided, you know, why am I going to play in the fall when I can, uh, prep up, you know, and get ready for the combine and go on to the NFL. So, yeah. Uh, smart move by those kids. But let's dig into week two here. And we're starting with a fun, fun Thursday night game. I'm going to have to find an extra screen here, guys, because <laughs> I've got Thursday night football uh, with uh, Houston and Kansas City, which I do my live stream for, for all my listeners on my Patreon, patreon.com slash ITL Army. And then I have um, the Rockets and Thunder game is on or the Rockets and not the Thunder, the Rockets and Lakers game is on. Mm-hmm. The Rockets mm-hmm. are down two one in the playoffs. And this Miami UAB game. So I'm charging up right now my Kindle. Charging <laughs> up the Kindle so that I can uh throw that game on the Kindle so I can get all three screens going at once uh to enjoy all the sports as they're happening. But I'm really, really, really excited to see Derek King uh in this Miami offense. And this is a uh, Hurricanes team that has played musical chairs at the quarterback position for what seems like a decade now yes and i cannot wait to see king come in and run this offense and hopefully run it well nick i'm excited about this game yeah absolutely uh i'm, I'm going to be watching this game on multiple screens one uh <laughs> live and, and one about two or three seconds delayed so i can get the oh come on replay. you throw the houston kansas city game on one screen nick you can you have to do it can i do, do i have to buy you a tablet i guess i could put no I, I have an ipad i've got i've got four screens up here so i guess i could turn it on <laughs> But I'm going to be, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll have this game on on two the, screens. The main room, sure. yeah. But uh, yeah, so so this will be a fun game. I'm really excited to see Miami. Uh, I'm very excited to see Derek King. I am pretty high on him individually. I'm pretty high on 
line. Uh, Rhett Lashley, the new offensive coordinator there, based on what we've seen in the past, you know, most recently at SMU, but also he's a longtime Gus Malzahn assistant at, at uh, Auburn. And, and so I think he's going to bring obviously something new that we haven't really seen at Miami. And, and you know, now he's got more talent to work with. Uh, and it'll be exciting to see, you know, can Derek King uh, carry over what we saw in, in 2018 at Houston when he scored 50 touchdowns? I think we can. I, I've, I've heard really good things uh, about him in fall camp. Uh, I know that he, you know, people talk about his running ability, of course, and, and for good reason. He's a weapon on the ground, but he's a good passer and, and you know, somebody that I think is going to put up uh, solid passing numbers as well. Hopefully he'll have some time to work. I'm, I'm a little concerned still about the offensive line. Uh, their, you know, highest rated guy, according to our numbers, opted out way, way early, was one of the, the you know, first guys, even before we called it opt-out, said, okay, I'm going to redshirt this year and, and come back uh, to fully rehab an injury. But, um, you know, they, they've, they've done a lot of shuffling on the offensive line. They brought in a, a Houston transfer there as well, hopefully solidify uh, right tackle. But, you know, I'm, I'm just not 100% sure how it's going to uh, shake out. But hopefully it will because I would like to see Derek King have time to operate. I would like to see who emerges as a receiver. I would like, you know, obviously they've got a couple of tight ends, very good. Uh, Brevin Jordan being, you know, one of the most athletic tight ends in the country, a couple of really exciting true freshman running backs. So I want to see what this Miami offense looks like, but these are two very strong defenses. Uh, UAB statistically, you know, we, we've got them projected to uh, give up 280 yards total per game this season. And, you know, this game, that, that's probably ambitious, but the rest of their schedule when they're playing uh, G5 competition, that's, you know, that, that's possible. Uh, they, they certainly, you know, put up great numbers last year. They've got one of the best pass rushers in college football in Jordan Smith. Christopher Mole is a very good linebacker. Um, so, you know, they're, they're going to give Miami a test. I, I think we actually will uh, be able to – you know, look at whatever happens on Thursday and, and get a good read on Miami offensively. Uh, UAB offensively, a little bit, you know, up and down. Spencer Brown looked really good on Thursday. He's trimmed down a little bit. Looks like he's gotten a little bit quicker. Uh, Tyler Johnson looks like the same guy we've seen the last, you know, the, the last year where he can make one great uh, deep pass and, and put up a big play and then, just a head scratching interception. So uh, it looked like maybe, you know, he doesn't even have the, the job hundred percent locked down They're They're bringing in uh, Lucero for a couple of drives here and there. So interested to see how that plays out. Uh, UAB, I think from a, you know, player per player standpoint, probably can't really stack up with Miami, but I think Miami has enough uncertainty going in that, that this game can be relatively close. Uh, our numbers see it, you know, decently close. Our projected scoring margin has it almost as a, a virtual tie with Miami as a, a one-point favorite. And by the way, I keep saying projected scoring margin. I don't love that. I would like to call it something else. So if you guys <laughs> can think of something, if any if any listeners out there can think of a, you know, snappy name for it, uh, let me know. Uh, but, but so I, I like, you know, our official number. I like Talent Edge, uh, both of which are in Miami's favor. Right? So projected scoring... Uh, margin is what the team is supposed to win by. 
So, so, and see, that's part of the problem, right? Because uh, I, I call our, our official projected point spread. Okay. That's the same, you know, it's a synonym for projected scoring margin. But I keep calling it projected scoring margin because it's based on our stat projections. So mm. I do want to clear that up. And so if we can think of another name, I'm all for it. But uh, so our, our official uh, projection on this, we think Miami's going to gonna win by two touchdowns. We have the final score of 33-17. But when we, when we look at our stats only uh, model, we see it very close. But if we look at our talent only model, uh, we see Miami, you know, potentially winning by three touchdowns. So it, it's, it's a, a wide range of potential outcomes. We think it's probably going to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, Miami, you know, I think is a, a 14 point favorite last I saw, and, and we expect them to win by 15. So very, very close, but, but we do see Miami, uh, getting it done and, and, you know, covering, but just barely on this one. Gotcha. Gotcha. Xavier, your thoughts. Uh, and I don't think I said the line here, but it is, uh, Miami by 14 and that didn't move. It opened at 14. It's still 14 and the over under is 55, uh, and that opened at 54 and a half. So it only budged a half a, a point here. So, uh, not a lot of moving on that line, which means that the betting is probably fairly even Xavier. So what are your thoughts on Miami and UAB? I have, I'm scared about this game. I'll be honest with you. Uh, um, <laughs> UAB scares me. They do. Uh, they gave up 35 points to Central Arkansas in their first game of the year, and that didn't that didn't give me a lot of confidence when you're going to go from Braylon Smith to De'Aaron King. Braylon Smith, great quarterback, good quarterback at Central Arkansas, good quarterback for that level. But De'Aaron King's a whole other monster, and that worries me because I think that when you look at Miami, this is going to be a game where they're definitely going to tr- they're going to they're going to try to impose their will on on UAB's defense, and if they can't. You know, if they can't push back, if they don't have any energy to push back, it's going to be really tough for them to win this ball. I think I got Miami by more than what we have it at. Uh, I would take the over in this one. Um, I think Miami's going to score upwards of 40 points. Um, Central Arkansas, like I said, put up 35 points. The final score was 45-35. Yeah, you can say maybe there was some garbage touchdowns in there, garbage minute touchdowns, but I think that Central Arkansas – They count. They, they, yeah, you know, and, and they're not nearly the team that Miami is talent-wise or otherwise. And I think that that doesn't bode well for UAB. Maybe UAB was overlooking Central Arkansas trying to get to this Miami game. Uh, also, Nick, I wanted to ask you a question. Who, as far as the UAB quarterback situation, both uh, Lucero and Johnston played in game one. Can we look mm-hmm. for more of that in game two, or do you think that was just because it was Central Arkansas? No, I, I think we will see it. Lucero got a, at least one drive in the first half mm-hmm. um, and, and got, you know, before – because UAB – pulled away a little bit and then Central Arkansas mm-hmm. made it closer at, at the end. But Johnson has, has a lot of arm strength and, and there are certain metrics where he looks really good. I mean, yards per pass looks good, uh, has, has connected on a lot of deep balls. And, and so that statistically is, has made him uh, in, in some circles, you know, uh, there was some buzz early last year about him being a potential NFL draft pick, but you know, it, he, he, uh, makes some just mind boggling decisions sometimes. And, and, and so I, I, he's the kind of quarterback that you wonder if a coaching staff might lose trust in him a little bit. And maybe, you know, he, he's, he's definitely boomer bust. I mean, that's, that's been thrown around a lot uh, as a term and it's, it's pretty apt. He's, he's somebody that can make 
some good plays, big plays, and, and spark an offense. But he's somebody that can turn the turn the ball over. He had what 15 interceptions last year or something. Uh, so it, it, you know, he's he's somebody that is kind of living on the edge a little bit, and uh, sometimes that's good. It can pay off. You know, Brett Favre turned that sort of uh, personality into a Hall of Fame career, but you know, it, it, it's another thing you could potentially end up playing yourself out of a job. And, and so I, I think we will see Lucero get a, a couple of series. I don't know if they'll be 50, 50, but I think Lucero might get two series, you know, scripted. Uh, okay. And then if he, if he looks good, if he looks better, maybe in the third quarter, UAB says, Hey, let's, let's see what Lucero can give us, you know, for, for a few drives in a row. And, and you said that earlier, which kind of concerned me. Uh, about him being kind of a gunslinger against a team like Miami, that's not going to work. You know, that, that kind of mentality just – it doesn't bode well when you're playing teams that are far more talented to you. Uh, they're going to switch up coverages to make him think he has open windows, and he's going to test those windows because he has the arm talent to do so. Uh, I just don't think that bodes well for him and his longevity in this game. And once again, I'm going to continue to say this. If they start slow, like I said, I genuinely think Miami can win this game somewhere in the range of 42-14. Um, and, and you know, really give us a dominant performance week one. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't know if it's going to be 42-14, but I do. I expect Miami to roll in that one. Even though UAB, you know, UAB is kind of. I'm sure there's going to be butterflies around every program that hasn't played a game yet, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To play in COVID and uh, get used to the weirdness. And I, are there going to be people in the stands in this game? I, I think, think Florida's so. letting some oh, Yeah, I think there yeah. I think there will be. Not not yeah. a you know, not a full obviously <laughs> stadium, yeah, but exactly. but like twenty percent or something. Right, exactly. So at least we'll have some people. It should be more rowdy, like you know, seeing uh the, the crowd at the Southern Miss uh South Alabama game, I was like, Well, I don't know if we're gonna have much more than this if uh there was no COVID. You know what I mean? It kinda look like after COVID, yeah, it'll be full because people will now appreciate being Southern able to go, football. yeah, well, just to go and do anything. You know what I mean? People like now can't go to restaurants or movies or, you know, go see a stand-up act or anything like that. You can't do anything. So when stuff opens, people are going to be going to stuff. So, uh, but I don't know if we would have got, uh, it looked like a normal crowd for that type of a game. But mm-hmm. uh, let's move on down here to uh, North Carolina and Syracuse. This is a line that has moved a little bit. It opened up as NC as a 19 and a half point favorite with the over of 63. It has ballooned to UNC minus 22 and a half and 65 and a half as the over here, Nick. Uh, we did have uh, the number one and number two running back opt out for Syracuse this week in uh, Abdul Adams and Jarvian Howard. But that was kind of an expected move, too. I think that was baked into the line as well. I don't think that is what caused this move at all. But uh, maybe I'm mistaken. So your thoughts on this game? Well, there there were some other weird things showing up on the depth chart as well. They, they've had a uh, linebacker that, that uh, got himself in some legal trouble uh, and, and won't be playing. They've got a couple of offensive linemen who are, you know, banged up or, or whatever. There's actually uh, Chris Elmore is a, a, a fullback tight end defensive lineman. He's played all over the field for Syracuse <laughs> the last couple of years was penciled in as their starting left guard. So he's, he's number five oh, on the depth chart, awesome. starting left guard. 
because Syracuse is just, you know, dealing with some stuff, dealing with some roster things. And, and we don't get a, a ton of detail on it, but we did hear, like you said, Scott, that the running backs opting out uh, there, there do seem to be some guys in, in some trouble. So Syracuse is going to be limited and, and Syracuse, you know, our, our power rankings, they're 73rd overall, which is, which is low for a power five team. Obviously they're 13th in the ACC 14th, if we include Notre Dame. So we don't love, Syracuse. So it probably wouldn't surprise too many people to know that this is the first time. Uh, I do feel good about this name. It's probably a little corny, but all three agree right? <laughs> where our uh, our three different models agree that one to, you know, we're on, we're all on the same side here. The, the only problem is they agree. They think Syracuse is going to cover. So I, I don't feel super confident about that because a lot of people are very high on North Carolina, very high on Sam Howell. The offense is, is great. Michael Carter, uh, you know, uh, they've, they've got two really, really spectacular wide receivers, Daz Newsome, De'Ami Brown, uh, and they've got some talent on the defensive side of the, the ball as well. You know, Chaz Surratt moved from quarterback has become uh, an all-conference linebacker. They brought in a lot of talent uh, in a short amount of time with Mac Brown as head coach. There's some exciting freshmen, uh, particularly on the, the defensive side of the ball that, that uh, looking forward to seeing here. So I'm, I'm very nervous about it as I often am, but you know, I, I, I deal with all these numbers and sometimes you kind of just have to trust the numbers. And, you know, in this case, all three agree that uh, Syracuse can keep it, you know, close enough. Our, our uh, projected scoring margin is two touchdowns. Talent edge gives North Carolina uh, an eight-point uh, advantage, and then our official projected point spread is fifteen. So uh, we see some value on Syracuse, whether we want to or not. Uh, and our final score uh, projection: North Carolina thirty-nine, Syracuse twenty-four. Xavier, I'm waiting for you to wholly and completely disagree with that. <laughs> you <What>? should. <laughs> what? I don't, feel, I don't feel great about it. Yeah, you shouldn't. This is going to be ugly. Uh, <laughs> North Carolina is going to do the business on Syracuse. Uh, man, I, I feel sorry for Syracuse in this ball game. I was, you know, for me, I, I really thought the Syracuse this year would be better, would have a better focal point on defense. Uh, you know, obviously last year we thought offensively they had it all together and defensively we were just hoping that they would come around. That, that obviously didn't happen. Um, and I was thinking that Syracuse coming into the year was going to be better defensively or at least have more focus on being better defensively. Uh, but this is a bad first game for you to, to, to try to get better defensively when you're playing a guy like Sam Howell, Daz Newsom, and that offense that are going to throw the pigskin all around the field. Nick, before I continue, I Chris Elmore is six foot, 292 pounds as your left guard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, anyways, yeah, Syracuse is definitely <laughs> going to do some things. Full, uh, full back, tight end, uh, nose tackle, starting left guard. <laughs> yes. He gets Iron Man. Is he still going to wear number five? I, think. I don't think, though. I don't think they let him. Uh, that's not, that's no, what he's listed that, on right? the. That's what he's listed on the depth chart still. So. Oh, wow. Okay. They'll have to find 55 somewhere for him. Yeah, probably. Uh, he needs an Ironman trophy or something. But this is just not going to be a great game for Syracuse. I think 
will have to take away some of the the bright spots, bright points for them. I think Tommy DeVito will look better in this game. I mean, he looked really bad last year. I think he's going to improve on this year. Uh, I don't know how much that improve will actually be, but I do see him being better. I see him sitting, sitting in the pocket more and trusting his arm, something he rarely did last year. Uh, he really had that, that he had a short clock in his head and he was out of the pocket before he got to three. Um, and I really think he's going to practice on staying in the pocket and that might poise well for them at points in this game. I just see North Carolina is way too talented. Uh, they had, they know the pressure that's on their shoulders. And that's the only thing for North Carolina that I might see that keeps Syracuse in this game, is whether they press a little bit, if they start slow, uh, Sam Howell, Definitely has shown the capabilities that he will press in a game where he may not need to. He makes throws that he doesn't always need to. Uh, like Tyler Johnson, he trusts his arm maybe a little bit too much, and that might bode well for Syracuse at points. Uh, but if he gets into a rhythm early, this game will be an absolute blowout. Luckily for us, it's only at 12 o'clock, so you know we have other games to watch after this. Uh, but I got North Carolina big. And by the way, that's 12 o'clock for you guys. That's 9 a.m. Hey, breakfast so. in bed and football. <laughs> Dude, that's gonna come. I don't. So you're gonna have some screens free. Uh, I yeah, I will, I will. Uh, but I'm purposely, uh, you know, I I purposely don't keep TVs in my bedroom because I won't fall asleep. So uh, no no TVs, but I will be half eyes awake. You know, I'm not doing the sports grid bit on Saturdays this year, so I'll be able to to wake up. You know, maybe 15 to 20 minutes before the game start and watch them at 9 a.m. Uh, this ball, week, I by halftime. I I definitely didn't do it last week. Uh, I, mean, I, <laughs> I slept in. Uh, I was like, "This is my last shot." You didn't see a hundred and one to nothing. <laughs> no, I did not. I, I stayed asleep for all that, so I uh, didn't get to see a, a lot of Astro O'Hara and, and all that stuff. Now I tell you what I did much. do is I woke up and I checked the score because I was like, "Well, if these are close, maybe I'll crawl my ass out of bed and watch these games." And then I saw it was like twenty three nothing or twenty four nothing. I'm like, "I'm going back." I'm not going to do this, uh, but uh, yeah, this game, look, I don't have a great feeling, but I will say that we saw a couple teams play uh, harder than we expected in, uh, in the first weekend. Now we saw also Navy not play as hard as expected. So it's hard to know what to expect in this weird ass year, but I think I would take Syracuse uh, against the spread because I think that a lot of people, a lot of people have the mindset that that Xavier does, and it's not the wrong mindset that UNC is the better team. But Syracuse typically plays uh, UNC tough, and they beat them last time they played. It was a close game. Uh, obviously, UNC did not have Sam Howell at that point, uh, but uh, Syracuse uh, they, they always they always come away with one surprising one, and I wouldn't be shocked to see you know not win, but at least keep this. Uh, closer makes UNC sweat it out. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with Syracuse in that one. Uh, the next game on the list here, Nick, is a really really fun one. It is Iowa State uh, hosting Louisiana, and the spread here I, I'm a little surprised. Iowa State opened up at 11, and it's only an 11 and a half point spread right now. The over actually dropped a point from 58 to 57. So what are we thinking on uh, Iowa State versus Louisiana? Yeah, this is a very intriguing matchup. I mean, there, there aren't very many games that are, you know, expected to be close in, in this week, unfortunately, uh, because we do have such a limited slate. You would hope, you know, that, that we would uh, get a few close games, good games. And, and, you know, the hope is maybe this will be one. And, and our stats 
model or our stats only uh, projection actually has Louisiana favored here, which which yeah. is surprising. Makes me think I need to go and and look a little bit harder at our you know conference uh, adjustments and, and things like that because I'm not sure uh, Louisiana should be favored in in this one. But uh, our our you know our our blended model and our our talent only uh, our talent edges give Iowa State. Uh, some credit, almost a two touchdown favorite in, in both instances. Uh, so, you know, we, we expect this is a game that Iowa State should win. And, and I think that even though Louisiana has a, a very, very good uh, running back room, I mean, top 20 unit, Trey Regas, Elijah Mitchell, uh, two really good running backs, a, a solid offensive line. They lost a couple of guys to the NFL, but they're still – the number one offensive line in the Sun Belt, according to our numbers. Uh, defensively, in the front seven, they're a top three unit in the Sun Belt. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that there's a lot to like about Louisiana. Billy Napier, the head coach, uh, you know, was in the discussion at, at a couple of SEC jobs uh, when mm-hmm. they opened up uh, after last season. So he's somebody that probably won't be here too long, probably will be, you know, in the SEC or, or you know, a, at least a power five conference uh, within the next year or two. So this is a team that they would love to be able to knock off what's expected to be, if not a, a you know, big 12 contender, at, at least a, you know, they're, they're pushing into that top tier at, at Iowa state. This is a top 25 team, according to our numbers, 23rd in our power rankings, fourth in the big 12. And I think they've got the, the, you know, the starting lineup, uh, they could uh, beat anybody. It's just, do they have the depth? Um, and, you know, do they have the raw talent throughout the roster? Brock Purdy, really exciting quarterback. I mean, they've got, you know, uh, Brees Hall at, at running back. They've got some talent at, at receiver, arguably the best group of tight ends in the country. The offensive line is, is rebuilding. That's a, a bit of a concern. But defensively, brought a lot of guys back, in, including – uh, you know, Jaquan Bailey is a, a maximum rated player, according to our player uh, ratings, who missed all but four games last year with an injury. So defensively, they're going to be one of the better teams in the Big 12, if not the best defense. They're going to be tested by Louisiana, but, you know, the Louisiana offense isn't going to play uh, a defense that, that is this good the rest of the year. So should be a good matchup, should be fun. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if Iowa State, you know, pulls away by a couple of touchdowns. Our our uh, final uh, prediction is thirty six twenty four. So we do think that they would cover. Uh, that seems a little high scoring, maybe. Uh, that is a, a pretty clear over, but uh, should be a fun game. Should be you know well played. I, I would hope as well as we could hope in this uh, you know first game for for these teams. But uh, probably the most exciting, you know, the game I'm looking forward to most in the early slate for sure. But uh, we do have Iowa State, you know, pulling away, winning uh, by 12 uh, by, the, by, by the end of the game. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on this one? I mean, uh, this seems, it, it looks to me when I, I go looking for a game to bet on that I go, man, only 11 and a half for Big 12 versus a, a ULL? Like, that seems like a nice matchup, but the the spread is this low for a reason, right? Yeah, this is this is gonna be an ugly game. I think this is gonna be probably the ugliest game of the early times. I don't see it being 36-24 whatsoever. 
I, I think ULL will keep this low scoring um, in an effort to get the upset. Um, and but you know Iowa State's you know I'm I'm looking for Brock Purdy to be the difference here. I think that this with a different quarterback would be really close. I think ULL might be able to take the upset as a whole. Uh, I think this game is more of a you know 24 20 type affair, uh, a, a real battle where we see you know some sloppiness from both teams. Uh, obviously due to the lack of continuity in the early season as well. Uh, and ultimately, we, it comes down to just Brock Purdy making a couple of plays more than uh, Levi Lewis is able to make for ULL. And I think that that's the biggest reason why I'm going to have Iowa State winning this game. I don't think – excuse me. I don't think that they'll cover. I, I think that this is one game I'll take under, absolutely. I think Iowa State just doesn't give me the idea that they're a team that pulls away in games like this. Uh, they never have been for the most part. And first game of the season, we saw it last week. And we saw it uh, the week prior, even with some lesser teams. These games are sloppy. These games are going to stay close. And the more competitive, the, le- the, more of the, the less of the talent edge that involves both teams, I think the closer that these games will be because of the sloppiness that will be also added to that. Uh, I think a couple of turnovers will keep this game rather close. I think Iowa State wins, but it's not going to be by a lot of. Yeah, I um, I I I gotta tell you, I just probably wouldn't be putting money on this game, uh, this week. It looks too weird, um, you know. I and I so I wouldn't touch it. But the next game, uh, is the one I picked, and I'll tell you why I picked this one. It's uh, Notre Dame, uh, hosting. Is this one is in South Bend? They're not doing a. Yeah, it's in South Bend. Okay, yeah. just want to make sure they're not going anywhere. Uh, but Notre Dame is a twenty point favorite, and that line hasn't budged. It opened to twenty. It's currently at 20. That's the number it is. Uh, The over is uh, 54 and a half, open at 55, so just has moved a half a point. The reason I wanted to go over this game, uh, not because I believe in Duke or I think that they're going to, you know, beat the spread necessarily, but I, I do find it interesting that last year Duke played Bama real hard in that first game in the first half. Now, Bama pulled away in the second half, but I think the score was 14 to three going into the locker room at halftime. I think Notre Dame is very talented, but not as talented as Alabama. And it's a weirder year with limited practices and stuff like that. Duke is still traveling in this game. They still got to go to South Bend. But uh, Nick, what are your initial thoughts on this Duke and uh, Notre Dame game? Because I'm, I'm genuinely curious. So our our three different projections are kind of all over the board on this one. So uh, I, I go to our matchups, which we give to our patrons every every Monday, where it lists you know quarterback. Here's the rating. Here's where they rank nationally and, and in conference. And you can kind of look you know unit versus unit. Uh, and the thing that jumps out to me first. Notre Dame ranks second uh, as far as our offensive line strength ratings, you know, second nationally. One of, this yeah. is one of the elite units in the country. Duke ranks 15th on the defensive line. Uh, mm-hmm. We've talked about, you know, Chris Rumpf uh, a yeah. couple of times yeah. this offseason, uh, uh, you know, a PFF darling, uh, you know, a lot of uh, draft uh, evaluators, talent evaluators are, are really excited about him. He's not the only, you know, highly rated defensive lineman. They've also got uh, 
uh, uh, Victor uh, Demkiji, who is uh, you know a hundred rated player according to our numbers. So Duke is is very talented up front defensively. They they don't have the depth that you know you would expect from a, a top tier team, of course. I mean, they are still Duke, but uh, they also recruit a little bit better than you would expect. I mean, they rank in the top 40 overall as far as roster strength. So uh, I think that the, the talent gap is maybe not as, as wide as a lot of people might think. Duke defensively, I mean, the defensive line, obviously, but but the secondary ranks 21st. Um, they're they're pretty deep in the secondary, so you know how are they going to defend Ian Book and what we expect to be a pretty solid Notre Dame passing game? I I, I want to see what the Notre Dame running game looks like because we've heard okay, you know, retro freshman Kyron Williams is is the likely starter at running back, but there are you know five guys deep who are going to get carries. Kind of want to see what that pecking order is. Kind of want to see, you know, first time I'll be paying attention to Williams, really. What does he look like? Uh, and then what does this offensive line look like? You know, is it is it really an elite, elite offensive line? So uh, excited for those, you know, little matchups, different, different positions, things like that. So I, I, you know, when I look to the numbers as a whole, our, our stats only model, our, our projected scoring margin, uh, makes Notre Dame an 18-point favorite. The talent edge is actually a little bit closer at 12. Uh, but, you know, when we factor in coaching history, even as respected as David Cutcliffe is, uh, his overall coaching historical team performance numbers, uh, according to our numbers, aren't great. Uh, Brian Kelly's are actually a little bit better than you might expect. So, you know, putting that in, it, it kind of helps widen this where we actually officially think Notre Dame should be favored by about 25 points. So a little bit of a surprise there, but that's one of our you know bigger edges, especially on a favorite early on. So officially we think Notre Dame's going to be able to pull away here, 40 to 14. That seems like a lot of points. Uh, you that's know. what happened last year too. You know, it, sure, Notre sure. Dame pulled away in the second half. So, yeah. you know, it, it was just a, it, it was just curious to me uh, and specifically because uh, when I was doing the sports grid stuff and those guys doing the live betting, you mm-hmm. know, they were, uh, they were all on Duke, and, but then a lot of them were also taking Bama in the second half and that oh, yeah. Bama second half play, mm-hmm. uh, paid off very, very well. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. the, the tale of two games. There. Sure. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if this plays out similarly, you know, yeah. cause Duke kind of like what I said with, with Iowa state, you know, the starting lineup. They've got they've got some dudes, uh, but over the course of a full season, and and then in this case maybe over the course of a full game, you wonder if kind of lack of depth, Notre Dame might just be able to wear them down a little bit, and, and you know if a playmaker or two emerges offensively, that that's the big question with Notre Dame: who's going to be the number one, number two receiver? Who's going to you know get uh, the carries? What 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 are the percentages going to be? But you know. In, in the trenches on the offensive line, that offensive line is, is really, really good. And, and Duke, you know, should be able to uh, stay with them early. But, you know, if if uh, those frontline guys start getting a little tired, wearing down a little bit, uh, and, and you have to rely on uh, rotating, you know, rotation up, up front, I wonder if Notre Dame's just going to wear them down a little bit. That's kind of the way that the numbers are pointing. And, and 40 to 14 – 40 points seems like a lot for Duke to give up, but, uh, you know, Notre Dame's good. They're a top 10 team according to our numbers. So um, that that's just sort of how it shakes out. I feel, I feel okay about it. 
but our numbers don't necessarily have a clear view overall of the game. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on on this uh, fun ACC matchup to to kick off the year? Yeah, I think this. I think you guys are drinking that Catholic Kool Aid a little bit too much. Um, <laughs> be honest, I, I don't like Notre Dame to win by twenty six points whatsoever. And Nick, you actually kind of alluded to it. Um, they haven't found a playmaker yet. They have yet to find one at either receiver or a running back position. So when we're talking about a team that's doing that, coming off of a shortened offseason, yes, they have a senior quarterback, but what does that senior quarterback have anything to do with receivers that are on the same wavelength as him? This is going to be a very sloppy early game. Like Scott, you said, it may be until the second half that we have a team pull away. I genuinely think this game might be 14-14 at halftime. Um, and I, I don't know if I can guarantee that at that point, Notre Dame will pull away. Uh, I really like Duke as a team to, to ruffle some feathers this year, to really play a lot of teams close. I like Chase Bryce. I think this is the year that he finally deserved uh, at least a sniff at Clemson. I, I really like Chris Rumpf. I like that defensive line. I think they're going to get after the quarterback. And I think more than anything, I don't necessarily trust Ian Book 100%. Um, he's a guy who has yet to show me that he can play at a high level consistently in college. That's why Notre Dame has yet to be in the playoff, in my opinion. And I think you're going to see it on um, you're going to see it on Saturday. Duke, I think Notre Dame is going to come out very sluggish, very slow. Um, it's going to be one of those first halves that you're scratching your head like, are you sure Notre Dame's a top 10 team? And is Duke better than we thought? Um, and I know we have the comparisons next to Alabama, but it's a different, it's a completely different scenario, in my opinion. Alabama was coming off of a full offseason. It's Alabama, secondly. And I think that Duke is a is gonna be more of an a, a more competitive outfit than I think the numbers have it right now. I've got Notre Dame winning, but I think it's gonna be 28-17. Okay, and that would be a very interesting game. Uh, yeah. I'll say this. I, I'm I'm with you, Xavier, on I think Duke is absolutely gonna ruffle some feathers this year. But I think with a brand new starting quarterback. Um, you know, uh, going up against Notre Dame, I think it's a tall task to ask him to do it week one. I just don't know what Notre Dame, like you alluded to, is going to look like offensively uh, coming out of the gate. So I think I'm I'm okay. I, I would probably take Notre Dame in this game and give up the points, but I, I I don't know how confident I would feel in it. It's just that's why I picked that game. It's a very interesting one. <laughs> Cutcliffe's calling the plays first time in a long time. So kind of just something to watch. Yeah. yeah, Is that, is that another early one? Is that one I'm going to have to wake up and watch? So that's that's a new start time for you. Uh, Uh, So two 30 here. So, so just before noon, it's a a early lunch game for you. Yeah. Yeah. The 1130. That's fine. So I go, I can watch all of that one. Uh, Um, Yeah. Moving down here, uh, Georgia Tech at, at Florida State. Um, Florida State, an 11-point favorite uh, is what it opened up at. It's 12.5 now. The overall line went down from 54 to 52.5. Um, Nick, I, I I feel like, to me, this is an easy Florida State call. But we got a new coach. Uh, Georgia Tech is improving. Very so uh, what are your what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, I agree with with all of that. I, you know, when this number came out, my my gut reaction, without even looking at our numbers, was that seems too low. 
Uh, I knew that we were low on Georgia Tech. They're our lowest rated ACC team. They're ranked 92nd in our uh, overall power rankings. And, and that's up a bit. I mean, they brought back a ton of production. They were in the, you know, 104, 105 range at the end of last season. So that's that's a significant offseason jump, the way we, we do our numbers. So uh, I, I do think Georgia Tech is going to be better. Um, I, I think hopefully they'll solidify uh, the quarterback position. That's that's going to be a question. We don't really know who the starter is going to be. Uh, it seems to me like James Graham will get the first snaps maybe, but they're really excited about Jeff Sims, a, a true freshman coming in, highly rated guy. Uh, there, there are a couple of other quarterbacks that have been competing for the job as well. They do have a running game. Uh, Jordan Mason's one of the one of the better running backs in the ACC, and then they're really really excited uh, about a true freshman, uh, Jamar Gibbs. So, uh, you know, they're they're going to take a step forward. Jeff Collins' teams play uh, relatively, you know, play pretty good defense, and, and Georgia Tech at times looked looked pretty good uh, defensively last year. It was hit or miss, of course. You know, first year head coach and a uh, bit of a talent disadvantage. Uh, a team not quite built to to you know play the the pace that I think they're eventually hoping to get to, but I think Georgia Tech will take a step forward uh, from a competitive standpoint week to week. We saw them knock off Miami last year, but we also saw them lose to the Citadel. So you know they were they were very inconsistent last year. This year, I think they will be consistently competitive. I just think that that might not translate to more wins. Uh, the schedule, you know, moving to a almost entirely ACC schedule uh, is tougher. Um, and just, you know, week to week, they're going to be an underdog basically in, in almost every game. Uh, so, so I think they might end up with a similar record, but be a better team. That all said, the way our numbers shook out, it, it really lined up with that gut instinct. I mean, Florida State, uh, obviously, our, our the very first thing we put in the formula are recruiting ratings, talent, you know, all that, all that good stuff. And the first argument people could make is, well, Florida State's been overrated uh, from a recruiting <laughs> standpoint for for years. And I get yeah. that. And, and we do adjust for experience and, and career production, but you know, Florida State, Miami, USC, the last Still few years, five stars, sure. Yeah. And, and our numbers have been high on them and they have been disappointing at times, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of a believer that Mike Norvell is going to be able to get this offense to take a step forward. You know, the offensive line has been a major issue similar to Miami, but uh, they brought in a, brought in a transfer there. There seems to be some good buzz about some of the competition and the way the depth chart uh, shook out when it was officially released and, and defensively our numbers absolutely love Florida state. Now they're they're going to be without uh, Nazirudin, who's, who's still uh, rehabbing uh, an end of season injury last year. He's not going to play uh, today, potential all, or this week, potential All American. But uh, overall, this is our number two defensive line, our number two secondary, and number three, or excuse me, number one uh, defense as, as far as roster strength. So they're right there, neck and neck with Ohio State. So. Maybe that's a little bit overrated, but I mean, you're talking about a potentially elite defense and talent throughout against a team at Georgia Tech that's, you know, 14th in the ACC in defensive line, 12th on the offensive line, 13 at receivers, even though that probably is a little underrated. They've got some playmakers potentially there, but, you know, 
I, I think that uh, I'm on board with this. This is one of the more confident uh, number, you know, as far as I, I do have confidence in our numbers, all three of our metrics agree here. Uh, projected point spread officially for us is 19. So, you know, feel, feel decent about that. But usually those, these are the ones we miss when I actually, like, I understand what the numbers are saying. Yeah, I feel great about it. So, you know, maybe maybe somebody else out there knows something I don't. But the way our numbers shake out, I mean, it, it, this seems like a, a 38-17 type game. You know, maybe yeah. a little lower scoring. But Florida State by, you know, two touchdowns plus. Feel, feel pretty good about that uh, at, at this point. But I'm excited to see how improved Georgia Tech might be. Uh, Xavier, it seems like you're on this one. You, yeah. you like Florida State. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love FSU in this game. I picked this game because I really wanted to see what Georgia Tech was going to look like this year. And I think this is a great barometer for them. Um, Nick, I think, they'll, I think they'll win a little bit more games than they did last year. Um, I don't know if they'll be that poor as far as their record is concerned, uh, but they will play better. Um, what I want to see from Florida State more than anything is I want to see them play not – I want to see them not play down to their competition. This is something that they've had a problem with uh, over the last couple of years. I know it's a new regime as far as the coaching staff is concerned, but it looked like it was an internal issue sometimes with the players playing down. You know, obviously, you remember last year's bowl game in Arizona State where they just didn't look like they wanted to be there at times. And it's a kind of a it's kind of something I want to see. First game of the year. You know, you're on television. It's an opportunity for you to show the rest of the country that you're here and you mean business. And this is a senior laden team. So I should have no excuse for youth or for people. You know, this is their first college football game. Quarterback, senior. Best receiver is a senior. Marvin Wilson, senior laden guy. Asante Samuel Jr., although they're not going to have Nazrilla Dean, they're going to have him in the in the back end. You know, this is a team that I'm expecting to handle business and handle it well. First game of this season with such a shortened offseason. And so I do think Florida State can win this game by the 21 that we have the final score prediction at. Um, it may be a little bit more. It also could be a little bit less. Um, the other thing, the last thing I'll, I'll leave with is I'm really looking to see what Georgia Tech's offense looks in year two. Uh, you know, we saw year one and we saw the ability and we saw the the transfer over uh, from their, you know, the, the Paul Johnson moving over into Jeff Collins. And I want to see now that the kids have had two off seasons. I know maybe maybe one and a half due to COVID if they're better offensively, more cohesive, um, and if they look a little bit smoother. Um, I also think Jeff Sims is going to get a lot of snaps in this game, and I really, really like that. He was an Under Armour All-American last year. Had a pretty good Under Armour All-American game as well. That's where I first saw him play. And, I, and, I, and he's an exciting, exciting kid, and I would love to see him get snaps in this game against a, a really good defense in, in Florida State. Uh, the last one here is very, very interesting. Last one we'll deep dive on. Uh, Texas State hosting UTSA. Uh, and they are seven and a half point favorites. That line hasn't budged. Uh, it opened up at 57 as the over 57 and a half is what it moved to. So the whole between both lines, only a half a point on the over under is how this game moves. So, um, you know, th this one is interesting specifically, Nick, because you put here that UTSA is expected to be missing about eight plus players due to uh, COVID protocol. So sounds like they were maybe, uh, you know, uh, the, the tracing or whatever found that they came in contact with some of these guys, you know, they might have it, but uh, we know that all the reports, you know, if you don't have to tell what happened, you're not going to anymore. And we can all thank Lincoln and Riley for that. So, um, but your thoughts on this Texas state and UTSA game. This, this is a very 
interesting game. I mean, this this is, you know, now that we're talking about Power 5 teams, it's probably pretty tempting to uh, sort of look past some of these other games. One, it's a, it's a rivalry game. And so that, you know, adds its own flavor, of course. Uh, two, everybody got a really up-close look at Texas State last week. Uh, people saw South Alabama potentially overachieve, potentially show a lot of improvement. People really saw Texas State because it was on by itself in the middle of the day. Uh, and it was the only close game, like truly close game, where the, the outcome was somewhat in doubt uh, towards, towards the end. And, and Texas State gave SMU a mm-hmm. lot of trouble. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they ran the ball well. They, you know, the, their uh, new starting quarterback, Brady McBride, is, is uh, just uh, – uh, so there was a uh, – Chris Hummer from 247 Sports tweeted this out. I thought it was really, really uh, a good way of putting it. He called it a, a ball of chaos. And mm-hmm. he, he's, you know, he just he <laughs> runs around. He can spin out of a, a you know, a, away from an oncoming pass rusher. He can, you know, juke and, and move and, and uh, miss, you know, guys miss him. And then he throws the interception. So <laughs> he's one of these guys that is going to, uh, you know, kind of like what we said about Tyler Johnson earlier, but maybe even to another level because he just has this energy about him where you never know what, you know, Saturday, it just you never knew what was going to happen. You didn't know if it was going to be, a, you know, no, 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 don't throw it. Oh, touchdown. Or, you know, oh, <laughs> you know, great. It's wide. Oh, geez. What, you know, the ball bounced off of three different people. And, <laughs> and what happened? So he, he's, he's going to be kind of a heart attack waiting to happen. And that brings a lot of excitement. And Texas State showed some improvement, specifically on the offensive side. How, how many important. times did you yell, throw the ball? Yes. <laughs> um, a, a few, a few. Yeah, he held on the ball a little, throw it. little too long at times. Yeah, yeah. Looking, looking to make the huge play. And sometimes he will make a huge play. Right. Sometimes he's going to fumble, you know, take a big hit, a sack fumble, throw an interception. We saw that as well. So uh, it, it's, it's going to be interesting, but I think Will gives... Greer that too, if I'm not mistaken, like sure, I remember yeah, yeah. watching his film going, get rid of it, throw mm. it away, do something. Another Jake Spavital quarterback. So, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the, it, it'll be fun to watch Texas state last year was decimated by injuries on the offensive line. So they're going to look better. They brought in some uh, Juco help, a, a grad transfer from Texas. He didn't really play, but they, they brought in bodies because last year they were forced to, to start uh, true freshman walk on at, at times. So uh, they're, they're going to be better on the offensive line. They've got a little more athleticism at the quarterback position. They've got receivers that fit a little bit more what Jake Spavital wants to do, the kind of player that he had at West Virginia, at Texas A&M, at Cal. And so Texas State will take a step forward, but I think people might be overestimating how much growth we can expect to see from Texas State. UTSA has a lot of issues. Last, uh, you mentioned, I mean, obviously, if eight guys are going to be out, that's a big chunk of a team, 10 plus percent. So that that's obviously concerning. They have four guys listed as co-starters at quarterback. That's a bit of a concern. <laughs> they, uh, you know, just, just they, they've got a lot of things that they got. First time, first year head coach. A guy was, what, coaching tight ends at Arkansas last year, and now he's a head coach at, at UTSA. So 
a lot of things to to make you think. All right, uh, I understand why Texas State is a touchdown favorite, but our numbers completely disagree. I mean, it is it is very very rare for our numbers to differ this much from what the odds makers say. Not only do we think UTSA is going to cover, we think they're going to win outright in all three metrics. So talent edge is nine points in UTSA's favor. Our stats only model gives them a two point edge and our our official number is uh, UTSA favored by three. So uh, the final score prediction is is 30 to uh, 27 with UTSA winning. We might adjust that a little bit, depending on what eight guys those are. You know, if it's Censor McCormack, the the running back, that's, you know, that's 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 a big big blow. But it's, you know, know, on social media or whatever, it doesn't really seem like maybe he's going to be at. I don't know. But things could could play out in a certain way, and and the numbers could shift that much. But it's hard to imagine because UTSA doesn't have a, a big, you know, standout guy at quarterback or, or you know, studs, uh, uh, pass rushers or, or, you know, corners or whatever. So our numbers probably wouldn't change that much Any if, if it was their top eight guys uh, in rating. It, it would bring them down, but it wouldn't bring it to, to Texas State being favored by more than a touchdown. So, mm-hmm. you know, our, our pick wouldn't change here. So it's very intriguing to me. Uh, it's the it's we don't do the lock of the century of the week type thing. <laughs> it's tempting because our number is so different, but sometimes these are yeah. the ones that that uh, things look so clear on paper they don't work out that way. But this one was the the most interesting game of the week to me because we see it completely different than what the market sees, and part of that is because people saw. Texas State and saw them give SMU a really close game. And SMU was, you know, probably the second best team we saw last week uh, other than Memphis. So, Which is probably why the line hasn't moved. You're probably getting most, you know, uh, casual money on Texas State and sharp money on UTSA. I think it bumped up a little bit. I saw it at DraftKings at nine and then came was back it? down. So, okay. I mean, yeah, I think you're right, though, that, that people were like, oh, Texas State. I said they almost beat SMU. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, which isn't terrible logic, but, uh, you know, UTSA has been known for the last couple of years of uh, play hard defense and run the balls out of the air. So, you know, when you play a team like that, uh, you know, usually you're going to hit the under and usually, uh, you know, that is going to be a closer game than expected. So your thoughts on uh, Texas State and UTSA? I guess you can say I'm drinking the Texas State Kool-Aid. I got Texas State here. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those guys. You know, I, I guess, you know, I'm a casual. Sometimes you have to trust your eyes. I get it. This is my biggest thing. UTSA has not played a game yet. That is my biggest, you know, what-if scenario here because we've seen how bad teams have been in the first week of games. I mean, we saw Middle Tennessee get stomped into the ground. We saw Navy get absolutely run through. What does UTSA going to bring out to the field? I don't know, but I know to a, a little bit, to a degree, what I'm going to get from Texas State. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to get a stingy defense. Yes, and Bouchel some throws last week that I was just like, what are you doing? Your draft stock is plummeting by the throw. But, you know, they made plays. And Texas State lost the ball in a lot of positions where they could have easily have won last week's game. 
Uh, you know, if it wasn't for a couple of inopportune bounces of the ball and some uh, and some potentially scoring opportunities, they could have absolutely won last week's game against SMU. And that's the Texas State I think we're going to get next week. Uh, I think it's funny. You know, I was looking at our group chat and, you know, I was like, if McBride takes another hit like that, he's not going to get he's not going to be in the game much longer. And then Nick alerted me to the fact that his you know backup quarterback was in quarantine. So I think somebody <laughs> told him that because uh, I, I don't remember him taking another massive hit like he did at that point when I sent that text message. Uh, but I, I like Texas State in this game. I think the- your backup doesn't have to be in quarantine and not take another one, not a, to want to not take another one of those. Hits. <laughs> But, you know. You know, at least you have yeah. a backup at that situation. <laughs> but I, I, I think we're going to see Texas State be more prepared. And that's why I'm going to take Texas State here. When you have a game that's as close as it is numbers-wise, the there's really not too many defining factors that make you go one way or another. But the fact that Texas State has played a game already, has gotten – you know, live gameplay hits already have been able to, you know, they've gotten this ability already to do that. I'm going to go with them over UTSA, a team that has yet to play a game and who might come out there with a little bit of rust and a little bit of lack of continuity. And more than anything, these are kids. So they might be a little nervous first game of the season. So, you know, I like Texas State in this game. I like them to win this rivalry. I think I'm actually going to flip the score and go Texas State by three. All right, let's go lightning round on the other games with uh, – uh yeah, with with some spreads here. So uh, lightning round, Nick. Lightning round. So okay. uh, uh, first, I'm ready. I'm ready. Got first one is uh, Kansas State at Arkansas State. Kansas State ten and a half point favorite over fifty four and a half. What are you picking on that one, Nick? All three agree on this one. Uh, Arkansas State. You know, it, it's it's close. It's not a huge difference in the point spread. We think Kansas State should be favored by 10 officially, but talent edge is only four. And, and our stats model is is basically a coin flip, K-State uh, by one. So, you know, I, I didn't love the quarterback shuffling at Arkansas State last week, but I, I think this is close enough and, and Arkansas State's going to be able to hang with them. So uh, Arkansas State, I, I think maybe not to win, but but to cover. Xavier? Give me Arkansas State to cover. I really like the way that they played last week against uh, Memphis, and I think that if it wasn't for the shuffling at quarterback, they would have played a little bit better, to be honest. Yeah, uh, because I don't like the quarterback shuffling, I am going to go with K-State in that game. So I'll be the contrarian on that one. Uh, Wake Forest uh, hosting Clemson. Clemson, 32.5-point favorites. The over is 60. <laughs> so, yeah, 32.5, but hard to pick against Clemson, Nick. Yeah, our, our talent edge has Clemson only favored by 24, and our stats wow. have them only favored by 27. But mix it all together, and we've got Clemson by 35. I think they'll <laughs> <laughs> um, give me Wake Forest. No, um, give me Clemson. Uh, I think Clemson more than covers. Uh, but give me Carlos Basham with three sacks. Three sacks for Carlos Ooh. Basham. I like that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, App State hosting Charlotte. They are 17-point favorites. That line is way down from 20-and-a-half. And 59-and-a-half uh, is the over-under, which has only moved a half a point here uh, down. So, Nick, your thoughts on App State hosting Charlotte? This is a, a sneaky, fun game, potentially. App State, you know, there's a little bit of continuity uh, potential, you know, transition. Uh, promoted head coach in his first game as head coach. But we expect that they will basically continue to roll. Charlotte sort of jumped up, had a really good season last year, but I think that they can keep that momentum. Uh, we we see our, our stats model actually thinks Charlotte's going to be able to 
keep it, or excuse me, our talent edge thinks Charlotte's going to be able to keep it close. Not that big of a difference here in talent, but our, our stats model and our official projection uh, have App State covering 40-21 being the final score. Xavier? Yeah, I got I've State covering. Um, I really like Zach Thomas. I think this is the year he explodes. He slowly crept up the last couple of years stat-wise. Um, I think this is the year he easily breaks 3,000 yards, and it's going to start on Saturday. Yeah, let's follow that Good QB one. battle. Chris yeah, 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 it's yeah, going yeah. to be a fun one for sure. Uh, Army against ULM. U, ULM should – you would expect to perform better than Middle Tennessee, but <laughs> we expected Middle Tennessee to perform better. Uh, so – this one is a 20-point Army favorite. 54-and-a-half is the over-under on this one, which has uh, – Army has sprung from uh, – they've gained uh, or lost four points, however you want to look at it, because it's open at minus 16, and the over-under has gone down uh, three-and-a-half points as well. So interesting line shifts here, Nick. Well, so uh, ULM defensive coordinator Mike Collins resigned just before we started recording last week, and that was before – he saw what Army's offense looked like on, on Saturday. So ULM, uh, first, you know, a uh, new defensive coordinator who's a week old, taking over the, the game planning for Army. I am incredibly, incredibly nervous about it. Our talent edges do not do, you know, they, they don't do great uh, when, when we're talking about service academies. But we think ULM's the more talented team. We think ULM, uh, from a stats uh, perspective, is going to keep it relatively close uh, all three metrics agree. They're on ULM this time. Keep it within the 20 points. I test from last week. I, I don't feel confident about that, but ULM's had an extra week to prepare. Army, you know, had to play last week, so maybe there's a little bit of a an edge there. We're all over ULM, but I don't feel great. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, uh, it's tough to it's tough to call this one. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? I was about to say my prediction, but I'll let you go first. Let's go. Let's let's get a little crazy, guys. Let's go ULM with the upset. You know, who cares if the defensive coordinator just started last week? He's ready to go. You know, he's like, we're not going to give up 51 points. There's absolutely no way. Um, I like ULM here. I, I think Army might be spelling themselves a little bit after, you know, beating the brakes off of Middle Tennessee State last week. And I think that they're going to run into a brick wall here uh, against ULM. I think they'll they'll be more prepared than I think we're giving them credit for. Like you said, Nick, they've had two weeks to prepare for this offense. Army's only had one week to prepare for ULM, uh, although they could have taken the second half off with the way they were playing. <laughs> I think um, I like ULM in this game. You know, maybe I'm being a little biased. And I, I do think Army – I think we're sipping the Army Kool-Aid a little bit too much. That was not indicative exactly of what Army was. I think we'll see more of what Army is this week against a better ULM team. And I got ULM. I'll throw on my red shirt because I'm the Kool-Aid man. I'm drinking all of it. Uh, they look so good week one. They're dominant, uh, and I think it continues this week too. So I, I'm going to be a contrarian on this one. I'm going to roll with Army just because with all the weirdness and COVID and the practice schedules and all that stuff, uh, I, I'll just go with what I saw, and I saw Army be dominant last week. So I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll roll with them. Uh, Tulane, eight-point favorite. Uh, on the road against South Alabama, Nick, where are you going on that one? So Xavier brought up a really interesting thing about Army. He said, you know, maybe maybe now they're starting to think, oh, we're we're pretty good. That I I think is less likely to happen to Army. I think it's more likely to happen maybe for South Alabama. They won two games last year. They've won two in a row now, uh, and everybody watched it last week. You know, on campus, if there's 
campus happening right now. People are telling them, you know, how great a game it was. Oh, you guys are so great. You're, you know, so once you start to think you're good, it, you know, football has a, a way of humbling you pretty quick. Uh, and I'm not sure it'll necessarily happen right away this week. They are opening a brand new stadium, but I think if last week had not happened, Tulane would have been over a two touchdown favorite in this game. Uh, our numbers see it much closer to that. So I, I you know, they don't all agree the talent. Uh, South Alabama's uh, within the eight points, but uh, overall, we think Tulane's going to uh, going to cover this, and, and I feel pretty good about that. I think South Alabama gets humbled maybe a little bit this week. Xavier, your thoughts? Let's go with South Alabama. I, I, let's keep the ball rolling. Three game winning streak, the longest that we've had in over a year. Let's go. I, I think <laughs> that uh, I think two Desmond Carter. Yeah, uh, <laughs> same amount of games that they won last year. Two games in. Uh, I, let's keep the ball rolling. I, I think South Alabama opening a new stadium. I think that they have an opportunity here to start off their year right. They're going to come in. Yes, Nick, I would absolutely agree with you that they're smiling. They could be smiling themselves. However. There's going to be more of a, a focus here because of the fact that they're opening a brand new stadium. The last thing you want to do is your first stadium opening to be in a loss. That's the last thing you want to do. Trust me, I watched Georgia State do it. So uh, I, I think that they're going to be a little bit more focused than we're giving them credit for. On the other end, I think Tulane, although they watched South Alabama win last week, might be coming in thinking that they're going to roll a little bit. This is a Tulane team that – Went to a bowl game last year. They finished with a winning record. I think that they're going to look at South Alabama as a team, as a tune-up to get ready for their next game against Navy. And I think that they're going to see South Alabama as an opportunity to get ready for the, to get confidence for the Navy game. I think they're going to overlook them in the first half. I see South Alabama leading at halftime and just carrying that wave into a win this week. I got South Alabama in the upset. I think come they're on, more like Come they're, on, Scott. No, no. They're, they're more likely to overlook Navy after seeing what Navy looked like last week, and, and to to put more focus on this game. I, I'm I'm going to take the team that went to the bowl game last year versus the team that won two games. And I know South Alabama is much better. Beat Southern Miss. It was their first win in their first road win in like a thousand years or something. So that was really great for them. But I'm not. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm not going to all of a sudden jump on the Jaguars bandwagon. Uh, this one, I think, is the hardest one for me to pick this week. So, Nick, you can tell me if you agree with that or not. Uh, Louisville, 11.5-point favorite against uh, Western Kentucky. This is strength on strength where Louisville's offense meets Western Kentucky's defense. So your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think that's absolutely it. I mean, Western Kentucky might have one of the best G5 defenses out there. Louisville, very explosive on offense. They've got a lot of work to do to be a, a semi-decent defense. Uh, I think this is – a pretty close game. I mean, you know, two of our three metrics actually think that Western Kentucky uh, will cover this game. One of those actually thinks Western Kentucky could win this game outright. So talent edge, of course, is, is big to Louisville. But I think I agree. I think Western Kentucky uh, keeps it close and, and might even have a chance to pull off an upset against an in-state rival uh, at the end of the game. I, I don't know how this game goes if Tutu Atwell takes the first kickoff back. That, that is going to tell me where this goes. I, I think that Louisville is going to go as far as their skilled players take them in this game. Javian Hawkins and Tutu Atwell are some of the most, if not the most explosive players in the ACC. I know some Clemson fans might have to argue with me on that. But I really like Louisville in this game. I'm surprised, honestly, it's this close. I know Western Kentucky has a really good defense, and don't get me wrong. They should – the numbers reflect what the talent, what, what the talent edges say. But I think that offense, 
this early on in the year is easier to get started than a good defense. And I think that that's exactly what's going to happen on Saturday. I think Louisville is going to roll. I think the speed of Louisville is going to be just too much for Western Kentucky out on the edges. Um, interior, I think Western Kentucky can absolutely hold their own. My question is, is can their DBs run with Louisville's athletes? I just don't think that they'd be able to. I think Louisville wins this game. Yeah, I think that's a good question. And uh, what is WKU's? Uh, offense going to look like with a new QB and all right. that stuff mm -hmm. as well. Uh, last one up, uh, Kansas, a seven-point favorite. And, and <clears throat> are you listening? Kansas, a seven-point favorite in a Come game on. right now against Coastal Carolina. Uh, but they open up at minus three and a half, and it ballooned up to seven. So it doubled real quick. And Coastal Carolina, the uh, over on this game, uh, went from 59 to fix 56 and a half. So it lowered Nick. Are, are you going with Kansas or are you going with coastal Carolina? This one is weird. Our <laughs> talent edge matchup has Kansas as a double digit favorite. Our official prediction has Kansas as a double digit favorite. Our stats model thinks coastal Carolina is going to win outright. So I <laughs> don't know. Uh, but you know, we're officially on Kansas to cover. They do have a little bit of a COVID flare up going on. There's some reporting that says it could be, Two dozen guys. There's some reporting that says, oh, no, it's only three. So see how that all shakes out. Well, if it's two dozen, but, they'll uh, cancel the game. But, well, you know. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah so. It, it's a it's a weird one. We're on Kansas. Coastal Carolina beat them last year, though. Xavier? I'm rocking with the Jayhawks, baby. Let's go, Les Miles. Get that first win. The undefeated for the first time in your stint at Kansas. Let's go. Let's go, Jayhawks. Yeah. I'll take Coastal Carolina. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, I don't care. Actually, I'll probably take Kansas. I just wanted to say that after all of that uh, fun stuff that Xavier said about Kansas. Now I, I'm, I'll take Kansas too, but I, I just wanted to be a jerk. But that's it. That, that's the show for this week. Uh, we're wrapping it up here. Nick, tell everyone about the Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash CFB winning edge. Uh, all the word salad that I'm giving you about all of our projections and everything. You can see it for yourself. Uh, as a tier two patron and, and do do a, a write up each week that kind of goes into a lot of these things, our matchups, our talent edges. Uh, you can see it all written down, the, the official projection. So if anything doesn't make sense uh, coming out of my mouth, which is certainly understandable, uh, check us out, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. You'll be able to see it for yourself. All right. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Bogman Sports, at CFB Winning Edge, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.